that we can place our trust and faith in completely in you. We pray for today's message as Pastor John has prepared for us today, that it would encourage us, it would edify us, it would build us up for 2022, it would strengthen us as a body to fight the good fight. Indeed, this is a spiritual battle that's out there, and souls are at the line. People are lost. People are eternally lost. Father, we need to help them. And Father, help us as your soldiers, your foot soldiers, to be out there fighting the good fight with you. We thank you for this blessed day. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you for all the members here today. We ask you to bless this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Simon. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to those that are joining us online. We just uh, begin our new year this way of just welcoming you and telling you thanks for starting your new year off with us. Thanks for breakfast this morning, everybody that uh, provided and brought bacon and all the other good stuff. Uh, Always a good way to start the new year, right? Uh, This is the time of year by which we reevaluate our lives for the past year and wonder about all the stuff we did well and all the things that we're going to do differently and all the resolutions. Everybody already break those already? I quit doing that a long time ago. What I realized pretty quickly was all those hopes and dreams that I have of whatever the next new year is, I'm not equipped to actually accomplish those because all I want are the results. I don't want to do the hard work to make that happen. And I'm I'm at least self-aware of that to just say, you know what, it's probably not going to happen. Doesn't mean I can't make some good adjustments or some good changes. Doesn't mean that it's not a good time to kind of hit that reset button and start over because it is. There's just these natural things. It's wonderful that we have a calendar set up that kind of gives us these ways, and our culture kind of moves that same direction, too. There's just natural times that we ebb and flow and start and stop. Uh, it's, it's strange. If you were to, to look into the Jewish calendar, you'd realize there are actually two calendars uh, that the Jews follow. One is a festal calendar, and the other is, is the, 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 I think it's the Julian calendar. Is that right, that we, that we follow or something like that? I'm not that smart, so don't ask me. But I know that they're on two different wavelengths, and the reason is is that they look at the the times of year when God would call and assemble the people to do certain things, and when the festivals and the activities and the celebrations were supposed to happen. And it was all part of God's long-term plan to get to the place where Christ would come into the picture, where he would live and he would be sacrificed, and he would rise up and he would grant salvation to everybody. And so there's these natural times that God has actually, I believe, written into our lives and put into our everyday routines to demonstrate who he is. And I think that's just great. I just think we miss it sometimes when we fail to realize that every single moment of every single day is an opportunity for us to see God working and God moving and God wanting to do things with us each and every day. Now, as you evaluated 2021 and you look forward to 2022 and you have the asterisk that was 2020 and 2021 and you have all the things that you you thought you were going to happen or all the things that were outside of your circumstances and all the changes that were out there and you, you look at all the decisions that were made that impacted your life, whether it be inside your own home, whether it be in your community, whether it be in the local government or the national government or, or globally, whatever the case may be, you look at all those things, at the end of the day, you still have to kind of come back to yourself and say, this is what I know I can do. These are the choices that I get to make. These are the decisions of my everyday life. And so whatever that case was or will be for next year, Perhaps maybe I need to reevaluate that and take some ownership in there too. And so I want to start this morning by just making a a, a simple blanket, but I think profound statement that that speaks deep into my heart, probably because I've been milling over this for some time, but I I want it to bother you a little bit. I want it to challenge you a little bit. I want want you to embrace it even, to, to be satisfied and to say, this actually makes sense to me, but I'm having difficulty working that out. And that's that statement is simply this. You were put on this earth to make a difference. Now just ponder that for just a moment. You were put on this earth 
to make a difference. Now, for my, my five-point Calvinist friends out there, God bless you. I don't know how you reconcile this, and I'm not here to settle that today or any day for that matter. But I'm telling you that I believe with all my heart that every single life was created for the purpose of making a difference. And the problem is, is that we look at that making a difference by the world's terms instead of by God's terms. You are where you are as a sum total of the decisions that you've made in your life. The relationships that you have that are either weak or strong are the sum total of the decisions that you made on your part of that relationship of where you are. If you're in right relationship with somebody, it's because you have worked on that. You've made choices that way. You have decided purposefully to make a difference in that person's life. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to respond the same way. That's on them. But you were put on this earth to make a difference. And my questions this morning, as we start this new year, as we start a new study going into this new year, is what difference have you made? What is the evidence of you? I mean, many of us can look in, in, in the rearview mirror and see behind us just the, the, the scattered bodies of relationships that we damage. That's the difference that I make. This person no longer speaks to me. This person doesn't come see me anymore. I don't go and see them anymore. I don't eat at this restaurant anymore. A difference was made somewhere. My dad and I have this running joke whenever we go to a restaurant that's really not that good, especially if everybody's talked about how good it is. He talks about getting that red X. And he always jokes, he'll ask my mom, he goes, do you have that can of spray paint in the car? Because we need to put a red X out there on the sidewalk to remind us not to come back into this place, right? We have a lot of red X's behind us, but we made a difference, did we not? We also have a lot of opportunities out there, too. This past year took a lot from many of us. We lost church members to cancer. We, we have family members of church members that were lost to a variety of different things. Just this morning, we have a, a church, a, a family in our church that is dealing with an accident that cost the life of someone else. Many of us laughed and loved Betty White, who was 18 days short of 100 years on this earth. People magazine had already shifted the, the, the magazine out there. Betty White turns 100. John Madden, those of you who are football fans or PlayStation fans. You know, John Madden passed away this past year. There are a lot of people who made a difference in so many ways in the past. But did they really make a difference in God's eyes? Did, did, they, did they really make an impact on eternity? I'm not talking about a, a, an intersection where I bumped into someone and they were nice to me at the grocery store. They made a difference. No, I'm talking about someone who made an impact on the eternity of a soul longing to be put back right with their creator. That's why when I tell you this morning that we were put on this earth to make a difference, I want us to look in terms of, God, why am I here? Who am I supposed to be ministering to? Who in my life have you put me with to share the truth and the love of Jesus Christ with so that their eternity is changed forever? Father, the, the things that I've worked through and the challenges and the difficulties and the burdens and the persecution, should I be so blessed to enjoy because my life with Christ is so great? Why have you done these things? What impact, what difference am I making? God, does my life even matter? Is that a fair question to ask at all? I know some of our teenagers are struggling with a lot of what the world is pumping into them. Truth finally came out that Facebook and InstaFace, whatever you twit is, what, all that stuff is damaging the psyche of our teenagers. And it's at full access to them 
And someone finally came out and said, you know, it's probably not a good idea to be in a place where we're always comparing ourselves to someone else who have manipulated their truth to make us feel like we're less than. That's not the type of difference we're talking about, and it is very temporary. I'm talking about an eternal difference that matters, that should my life end today or should my life end in 50 years from now, people will be able to say, I know Jesus Christ because of him, not that he was a good person. I really don't care if they think I'm a good person or not. That's not for them to judge. It doesn't change my eternity. Let me trust you on that. What I want people to know is I know Jesus better because he made an impact. He made a difference in my life. That's, that's a goal that I have. And a whole lot of that has to do with the way I live my life, not just what I proclaim on Sunday morning, but the way I live my life so that people look and say, why do you do the things you do? Why do you act the way you do? Why do you say no to the things you say no to? Why do you say yes to the things you say yes to? Because I want my life to make a difference in the eternity of somebody else. I'm an empty nester now. I have very little impact on my kids compared to what I used to. I still have some. At least I have the illusion that I still have some some days. But I want to know that my kids will grow up and they will love the Jesus that I know who rescued me and wants to rescue them. Sure, I want them to have a job. Sure, I want them to be successful. Sure, I want them to get married and have children. I want all those things for them. But what I want them to know is Jesus Christ. What I want to know is that their eternity is secured no matter what the temporary has to do to them. I love Psalm 117. It's the shortest psalm in all the Bible, but it says this, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. In the original Hebrew, there's a, there's a couple of words in there that talk about, let your praise of the, of the Lord God Almighty be like a shiny object that attracts people to it. Let your worship of God, your relationship with your creator be such that people look and they wonder, and all people of all nations praise the Lord and extol him for his goodness because of the way you worship God. Man, that's a pretty good goal for 2022, isn't it? I want to freak people out with the way I worship God. I want them to come to a place and go, man, what is, what is up with that guy? I don't know who said it, but I loved it, and it, it applies in the South, except for today, of all days, it's cold. But there was one pastor that said, you need to be so full of the Holy Spirit that a mosquito bites you and walks away singing, there's power in the blood. Some of you remember that old hymn, right? Man, that's what I want to be. I want people to just look, and look, it's not about elevating me, it's about elevating Jesus. It's about... All that I do, that all people of all nations will extol him, will praise him, because my worship is a shiny object that attracts them to this Jesus that has rescued me and loves you. Sure, I'd like to drop about 20 or 30 or 40 pounds. That'd be great. Sure, I'd like to be a little nicer to my neighbors. That'd be great. Sure, I'd like to, to go here and go there. That'd be great. Man, none of those things matter at the end of the day if I'm not worshiping and living in right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I want to do all my life. And the beginning of the year is a great time to restart that. And so I would say this. If our lives are going to make a difference, we must have the right orientation with God. Anyway, if you have a new job or go to school and you go to orientation... You go to the first day, and at orientation, they make you fill out all the paperwork, and then they sit down and they tell you, here's what to expect. Here's, here's our standard here. Here's our goal. 
you get all the good stuff about the company that you're coming to work for and all the wonderful things and why you've picked this great place and they give you all these things now after about a year there all that stuff goes out the window right but they're still doing orientation for every new hire that comes in. They're still doing orientation for every new student because they want them to get acclimated to this new relationship that they've walked into. They want them to understand the culture that they're in. And if we're going to make our lives make a difference, we need to constantly be in a place of getting in the right orientation with our creator. We need to be at his feet setting and listening and learning what is expected of me every day. How do I take up my cross daily and follow him? How do I thank you for your daily bread that you provide for me? How do I extol you and praise you in such a way that all nations come running to see what it is I'm talking about? I need to have the right orientation with God. I need to have the right relationship with God. I need to, have, I need to know the God of the Bible, not the God of this world. I need to, I need to know the God who is the, 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 the Father of Jesus Christ, not the God who is going to let me just kind of go on and live my life and excuse the way I do things. I need to know the God that this scripture speaks about. I need to know the God that truly is capable of rescuing me, not the one who's going to let me just set and enjoy my sin and wallow in it like a pig does in mud. I need to get the right orientation with him because as soon as I get the right orientation with him, I have a much deeper understanding for what he has for my life and for the difference he wants me to make. Many of you know that I love world missions, I love other cultures, I love going to tell people about Jesus who've never heard about him. One of the greatest missionary impact people in all history was a guy named David Livingstone. He mapped all of Africa. He was there for so long they had to send somebody in to go find him after like 20 or something years. Get the famous quote, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. You've heard that. That was the guy that found him. In all those years, what Dr. David Livingstone finally managed to do was map most of Africa, tell us what's going on in the different parts of what they call the dark continent, and he told us where the slave trades were happening on the east and the west coast. And in all that time as a missionary and all those things, they think he maybe had one convert the whole time he was there, maybe 40 years. Maybe 40 years. Now, we might look at that and say, what a failure. We may look at that and say, man, if this guy's a missionary, he's not very good at it, right? That's kind of like John being a fisherman. Never comes home with fish. Oh, yeah, he's a pretty good fisherman. Let me tell you something. There are different ways to measure that success because what I will tell you about Dr. Dave Livingstone is that he managed to follow God obediently. And that might meant that people did not come to this Jesus that he spoke about, but it didn't mean that he didn't stop trying to tell them about him. And because of his work and because of the impact that he made, others were able to go to different parts of Africa and have different impacts on that part of the world. And they followed some of the maps. They followed some of the cultural things that he taught them about. And they continued on with God's purpose and plan. God did not send us out here to save every single individual person on the entire planet. He's going to be the one who does that. But he did send us out here to live a life that reflects him in such a way that people come running towards him when the time comes. That's what we ought to do. So each year, I sit down, and I, I pray, and I look through Scripture, and I, I, I seek the Lord and say, Lord, what do you have for this church? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to, to, to chase after you in, in, in maybe just like a, a narrow lanes? How do we get the borders on this? And this passage of Scripture came to my heart early on about, about July, actually, and I've been praying about this and studying on this. And so my prayer for 2022 for, for us, and we're going we're gonna to say this often, we're going to memorize this, is Psalm 90, verse 12. And it says, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. 
Now, when you read that passage and you look at that, just that, that simple verse of Psalm 90, 12, teach us to number our days. What is this craziness? What are you talking about? I want to give you a little context to all of Psalm 90. It was written by Moses, and Moses had just rescued all of the Israelites, had taken them out of the, the house of slavery of Egypt, and he's leading them across uh, dry land of the, of the Red Sea, and they're wandering around the desert, and they get to the edge of the promised land that was told that they were going to occupy and have forever. And when they send in the spies, 10 of them come back and say, we can't do this, and two of them come back and say, we can take them with God's help, we can do whatever. Because of their disobedience, God said to them, none of this generation will enter into the promised land. You will wander around for another 40 years. Now, here's what's interesting about Psalm 90, is that Moses wrote this understanding that God had declared a death sentence on every living person in all of Israel except for two people, and that was going to be Joshua and Caleb. That every single person, more than 600,000 men we estimate, not including women and children, were told that you might live to be 70, maybe 80, but not a single one of you are going to cross in the promised land. Not a one of you. They were given a clock. We don't have that luxury. And I wonder how different your lives may be if you stop to think for a minute, hey, wait a minute, I'm 45 years old. That means that I may have 25, maybe 35 more years according to this, but God could take me home tomorrow. How has my life made a difference on the eternity of somebody else? I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, but I'm living right now because of the grace of God. And if I'm living up to the purposes that he has called me to do to make a difference in people's lives, I need to make sure that I am worshiping the one true God in such a way that that shiny object is calling people to praise him. Teach me, Lord, to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. And the only way we're going to get a heart of wisdom is having the right orientation with God, being in the right place with him, understanding who he is, not who we want him to be, understanding how, who he has always been, not who we're trying to get him to be, understanding our role in relationship with him, having the right orientation where we sit at his feet and we listen to the expectations and we look and to see what he is teaching us and showing us each and every day. And so I'm going to ask you as a church, if you would just partner with me now and for the rest of this year as we pray through this particular verse. Would you just read that out loud? So, let's try that again. So teach us. One more time with some enthusiasm. So teach us. Teach us, God, to chase after you, to come to know you, to learn from you, to learn your ways, so that in doing so, we might be more like who you said we could be and we can make a difference in this world. Now, it may look morbid when you first look at it, but it's not chicken little and the sky's not falling. Every day is an opportunity for us to say, God, teach me more of you so that I might have the right orientation with you, so that I might be in the right place at the right time, so that you might use me wherever you plant me, so that whoever my neighbor is or my coworker or the person at the grocery store or, 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 or a loved one or a family, whoever they may be, God, help me to minister to them, to love them, to see them in their sin and their lostness and see the value of them who was also put on this earth to make a difference just like me. So, you were put on this earth to make a difference. And I'm going to challenge us this next year 
to make a difference. This isn't about church growth. This isn't about getting a whole bunch of people in here. This is about each and every one of us following close to the God that loves us in such a way that people can't help but be drawn to what God is doing in each of our individual lives and the lives of our church and the lives of this community. I don't know about you, but I am certain this community right here needs Jesus Christ. I'm certain that the community where I live just a few miles down the road absolutely needs Jesus Christ. My neighbors are crazy. I'm certain that I am where I am and God has placed me where he has placed me because he wants me to make a difference. And there are certain things I can do to make a difference, but none of it on my own power. Every bit of it will be reflective that shiny object of my worship of God will reflect the love that God has for me and for all nations that he has put us to go out and to reach. That was a cry that he gave to the Israelites, and it's one that they missed out on. They were supposed to be God's chosen people. And this all began as we look into our sermon series that we're going to start today, and we're going to run through this most of the year. We're going to walk through the book of Jeremiah. And the book of Jeremiah is 52 chapters, and we're not going to cover every single bit of that, but a whole lot over the course of the next year. I want to see what God has to say about this person, Jeremiah. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I am going to invite you to open your Bible to Jeremiah. It's in the, it's in the Old Testament. It's on page 699 in my Bible. I don't know what it is on yours. It's right after Isaiah. And so as you're finding the book of Jeremiah, either on your phone or on your Bible, I want to tell you a little bit about how we got to this place to where we have Jeremiah. God saw Abraham, and he was the greatest man in all of that region, and he called him from the land of Ur, and he says, hey, I want you to go to this place called, uh, uh, I'm not even going to tell you where to go. I'm going to tell you, go along the way, I want you to take your wife, I want you to go, and you're going to have a child. And he goes, man, I'm almost 100 years old, I'm not going to have a kid. And so he does end up having a child, and Abraham uh, Father Abraham had many sons. Y'all remember that song? And many sons had Father Abraham, and Isaac was one of them. And Isaac would go on, and he would have two sons himself, twins, Jacob and Esau. And Esau would actually be the older, and Jacob, whose name means deceiver, would trick his brother out of his birthright, and he would get all the inheritance that was promised from Abraham to Isaac down to Jacob. And they were supposed to go to this land of Canaan, that they found out a little bit later on, and they were going to possess this land, which we now call Israel. And God said, you're going to move into this entire country, this region, and you're going to live in cities you didn't build and homes you didn't build. You're going to, to, to harvest from vineyards you didn't plant, and, and you're going to live in a land of milk and honey, and you're going to be my chosen people, and from you all nations and all peoples will be blessed. And so Israel, I'm going to elevate you, and I'm going to make you a shiny object for the rest of the world because you're going to worship me, and, and I'm going to take care of you, and you're going to show the people the way back to me so creation is right. And so Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob would go on to have 12 sons who would be the 12 tribes of Israel who would all get their neighborhood throughout the land of, of, of Israel. Does that make a lot of sense? This is a big history lesson, so you'll have to forgive me, but you've got plenty of time to go back and read the Bible. Isn't that awesome? And so here we have the 12 tribes of Israel. Now the 12 tribes of Israel, when they 
first occupied the land after Moses said, we might live for 70 or 80 years, but God, teach us to have a, 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 a heart for you. Teach us to number our days, O oh Lord, so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And so while we're wandering around in the desert, we're never going to make it into the promised land. God, would you teach us just to love you and to know you and to be a part of you? Because we know we're not going to get that promise fulfilled, but that doesn't mean you love us any less. And so let's keep our relationship right. God, would you teach us to do that? And so they get to the edge of the promised land. All that generation has died off except for Joshua and Caleb. And when they cross over the Jordan River, the scripture tells us in Joshua chapter 1 and 2 that the water walled up and people walked across on dry land. Almost a million people crossed this river. And when they walked into the land of Canaan and the promised land on the right side of the Jordan River, they were called a nation for the very first time. It's the first time the scripture uses that. And once they occupied, God's people occupied a land, it was theirs. And God gave very specific instructions. Go throughout all this land and knock down all the high places of the false gods and all the temples and all the idols and kill the inhabitants of the land. Clean them out. Gosh, this God is, man, that's, that's brutal. There's nothing loving about that. Let me tell you something. Just because we don't know all the details of what God did, I promise you God revealed himself to those people and they rejected him. And because they rejected him, his judgment rang true. And he used the Israelites to carry out his justice, not theirs, his justice for his purposes. And so when they walked into the, to the land of, of Israel and they were supposed to take over, each tribe had a little bit of a designation. They had this land and that land, except for the tribe of Levi. The Levites were the priests. And they actually lived in towns in different areas because the priests did this job for all the people. They offered sacrifices and they prayed for them and they ministered individually one-on-one. -on -one. They kind of had a list of things to do. You can go back and look at Deuteronomy and you look at, at Leviticus and you can see what the priests did. They had a how-to book basically on how to minister to people. It's pretty awesome. I'd love to have that today. And so here we have them occupying this land, and they didn't do what God said. They didn't kill all the people off. They didn't knock down all the high places. And so they have all the land, but there's still no unification of a king here. And so God sends these judges out. And he sends these judges out to rule over the people and to speak on his behalf and to call them back to what he's already told them about. So teach us, Lord to number our days so that we might have the right orientation with you, right? And so the judges were calling these people to have the right orientation with him, to, to be in right relationship with him. And they called them to do these things. They settled disputes, and that wasn't enough for the people. All the people said, you know what? We need a king like everybody else. And it angered God. It frustrated him. Why do you want a, godly, a, a godless king, an earthly king, when you've got me? Why would you settle for something less than the very best? But if that's what you want, I'm going to give you a king. And his name's going to be Saul, which, by the way, Saul's name means asked for. And so when you read the stories of Saul, just remember those people asked for it. And God warned them. He says, this man will enslave your sons and your daughters, and he'll take them to war, and he'll take your prophets, and he'll take your fields, and he'll take your golds, and you'll have a king, all right, and you're going to be missing me. You're going to be wishing that I'd have said no to you, but no, you were so adamant about being substandard, just like everybody else out there, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. Hey, by the way, friends, we do that all the time. Hey, God, can you just make me happy? Or can you fill me with joy because I know you and you know me? God, can I just settle a little bit just for things to be a little bit better than what they were? Or can I have the right orientation with you that I might gain a heart of wisdom? Can I be in the right place? And so these judges, they show up. They do their thing. The people are still frustrated. Then the kings come and they get Saul. And Saul would lose his throne to David, the boy king. 
And David would actually pass his throne on to Solomon. And Solomon, from there on, things just get really crazy in the Bible. And so what happens at, at the time of Solomon is right after that is that the, 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 the 12 tribes of Israel break into two parts, a northern and a southern kingdom. And the southern kingdoms were Benjamin and Judah. Judah being the fourth son of Israel, whose name used to be Jacob because God changed it. And so he's the fourth son, and now the birthright was promised to David that the Messiah would come through him. And so all that's left over time, because the Assyrians and the Babylonians would come in, and they wiped out all ten of the other tribes, but these two little tribes that are left are Benjamin and Judah. And now we get to the place where we are in Jeremiah. Because God is going to ask of Jeremiah a terrible thing, and he's going to do it. He's going to ask him a hard thing, and he's going to do it. He's going to ask him a challenging thing, and he's going to do it. Because I think Jeremiah understood what Moses was crying out, because Jeremiah knew that God's judgment was coming, and his wrath was coming, and he was going to set all these things right, and the high places, and the idols, and all that stuff needed to be torn down, and he knew that God was not going to settle for just all this temporary worship nonsense. And he knew things were going to be hard. He also knew that after the northern kingdoms got wiped out, that there wasn't much hope for the two little small Judah and Benjamin that was left. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, well, before I do that, let me say this. This is an important part of my notes, and I think I need to tell you this. In the process of this, we have Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was one of what we call the major prophets in the Bible. There were minor prophets, and there were major prophets. It doesn't mean they were less or more important. It just means they didn't have as much writing going on. Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible, by the way. It's got over 45,000 words in it. It's the longest book in the entire Bible. It's got 52 chapters. That's one a week, by the way, if you want to start reading your Bible this year. It's a good way to do that. But in the process of Jeremiah, it's not chronological. It's, it's kind of lumped up by events that are going on, and Jeremiah writes about this. But Jeremiah was a prophet. And so let me take a minute and just talk about prophets for just a moment. Because I think we have a deep misunderstanding of what prophets are. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, God tells Moses, I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. The, the job of a prophet was to, to tell the people about God, to call them back to him, to discuss with them what God said is going to happen so they can start fixing their lives to show them how to fix their lives and to bring them back to the right orientation with God, to be in a right place with him so that they may gain a heart of wisdom. We also see in 2 Peter chapter 1 where we have false prophets running around, and there's a, there's a problem there, and it says this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they carried, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I tell you those things? I want you to understand that God's longing for you to make a difference in this world is his continual conversation with us. And in the Old Testament, we had these prophets who spoke with God and wrote these things down and spoke to the people with authority. And these prophets went around talking about all the things that God was going to do and telling people about who God was and calling them back to them. Even today, we have false prophets, and this, this gift of prophecy, which is a little bit elusive, to be perfectly honest with you, is challenging, because most of the time, what we see, particularly around this time of year, are the prophets get out, and they start telling you about all the wealth and health and prosperity and all the things that God's going to do if you do this, this next year in 2022. 
they're liars. And they worship the father of lies. They speak like their father speaks. I am not a prophet in the sense where I'm going to tell you about the future and all those other things. But I do believe part of my gift and part of what God calls me to in the modern ideal of what prophecy is, is that I am proclaiming to you what God has already said. I have no new information to you regarding God, especially if you're going to ignore the old information that he's already told you. You don't deserve more if you don't want to deal with what already has been told to you, right? That's where so many people, I think, really get life wrong. Oh, I just wish I knew more about God. Really? There's more about him than you could ever possibly understand. What do you mean you wish you knew more? You mean you wish he would do something different or would show you something new or would change the world like the time when he sent his son to die on a cross for you and rose up from the dead? That's pretty amazing. That's something good to know about God. Yeah, that was cool, but that was old time ago. I want something new. I, 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 I want God to predict the future for you. Oh, that's actually pretty easy because God lives outside of time and space. So here's the future. Love him and love him only or suffer the consequences of it. That's not a very loving God at all. Absolutely it is. It's a very loving God because he didn't just snap his fingers and make it happen. He lets those things go on, calling you over and over and over again. 268 years of divided kingdoms worshipped false gods, and God called them over and over again, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Prophet after prophet after prophet said, stop worshipping these idols. Stop doing these things. Make your life make a difference of an eternity for those around you. The other nations are watching you, you're God's chosen people, and you're supposed to be setting examples for them. And instead, you're showing them how to just willy-nilly deal with this God, worship false idols, and then you're wondering, why is our God forsaken us? Why is he punishing us? Because you were disobedient to him when he told you at orientation what to expect from us. He told you. And so I'm not a prophet, because I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you about what the future is, but I am a prophet in, in this sense. And please don't misunderstand this because you're probably getting a little crazy right now, like going, man, he has lost it here. Hang on a minute, all right? Time out. Just stick with me. A prophet is a truth teller, not a fortune teller. Okay? A prophet is a truth teller and not a fortune teller. And most prophets get a bad rap because when you tell someone the truth about what God has already spoken to, they're probably not going to like it. There's a reason they needed to be told the truth because they're not adhering to the truth. And the truth is right here. It is written for us in the scripture, and God has declared who he is, what he will do, and how he will do it. Well, I don't like that. I don't like that God does this. I, I don't care if you don't like it. You're not liking it does not change the truth, okay? I don't like that there's a stop sign up there, but it's true. There is a stop sign up there. It doesn't change anything. A prophet always proclaims God's truth regarding sin and judgment, he speaks the honesty of who God is and his character and how he must act in regard to sin and how he's, he's, he's already provided an opportunity for us to get out from the bondage of sin through his son Jesus. And so any consequences, negative especially, that you're suffering because of your willful acceptance and embracing of sin, God's going to deal with that. And it's not unfair of him to judge you harshly when you've rejected the way out. That's on you. You made that decision to do that. A prophet also elevates the holiness and character of God and not his ability to tell you the future. I love this one right here. A prophet never uses his own words when he consistently calls people to God. God told me, oh, he did. What page was that? I'd like to read that for myself. 
I know I'm making light of that, but I gotta tell you something. Anytime somebody tells you that God told them something, you remind them God told you that they were gonna give you a thousand dollars. Let's see whose prophecy comes true first. None of that elevates God. God uses his prophets to tell the people and call them back and bring them back. But most of all, I think this is what prophets really do. And this is why there are so many false prophets running around out there predicting the end of the world, predicting the change in 2022, all these different things. I think mostly what a, what a prophet really does, or what really makes him a prophet, is they call people to repentance before they talk to them about blessing. Every Old Testament prophet Every New Testament prophet, every one of those prophets call people to repentance, to come back, to turn from their sin and come back to God. It's not about you'll get this or this will happen or this. No, this is about getting your orientation right with the one true God. This is about coming back to him, and a true prophet will do that. And we see that in Jeremiah. And so this morning, I want you to read with me the first three verses of Jeremiah. I'll I'll put them up on the screen for you. And we're going to see what this who's called the weeping prophet, Jeremiah, how his story begins. And it says this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, this is, this is a lot of history, and I know you're probably going, man, what's happening here this morning? I'm setting you up, okay? Just know that. I'm always setting you up, by the way. I'm setting you up to understand this, is that when the, the kingdoms divided and the north got wiped out, in, in Judah, they had this cycle, and there was a good king and then a bad king, and then a good king and then a bad king, and then a good king and a bad king. In Israel, there were no good kings, and that's why God's judgment came to them first. And those 10 tribes got wiped out first because none of them turned back. But Josiah, that's mentioned here, was eight years old when he took over the throne. And at eight years old, he led the people in a time of restoration. He led the people to come back to reading the scriptures and worshiping in the temple and having the sacrifices and observing the feast. At eight years old, he went back to the truth and began to call people to reform. And he was a reformer. The problem was, is that throughout his time as king, he only called them to change their ways, but not their hearts. He called them to reformation, but not repentance. And so while things are going well for Judah, and they're scathing off attacks from the Assyrians and from the Babylonians and from from the Edomites and all that group, things are going well for them. They're changing their behavior, but they're not changing their hearts. Teach us, Lord, to be better people so that it might be a little easier for us in this world. That's not what the scripture says. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, to know you better each and every day so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to be in the right orientation with you. Let's just clean up the outside and let the inside be dark and black and die from the inside out. That's not what God's call is for our lives. And so as this passage in Jeremiah says to us that Jeremiah was a prophet. Now here's the real problem with Jeremiah being a prophet. Jeremiah was raised by a bunch of priests He's from the line of priests. He lived in a little town, Anatoth, which was just north of Jerusalem, a couple of miles, which is one of the cities that was given to the Levites for them to live in. And so he was a priest. He's a Levite. 
And the priests had a pretty cool job, like I said. All they had to do was just follow all the rules and do all the things in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And they just ministered to people, and they killed animals, and they, they burned offerings, and they did all that sort of stuff. And so when God approaches this prophet, or Jeremiah, and he goes, Hey, Jeremiah, would you rather be a priest or a prophet? I promise you part of that conversation had to go something like, you got to be kidding me. Prophets are lunatics. They are running around telling people that God's coming and his wrath is coming with them. They need to turn from their ways and knock down all these things. Whereas priests, man, they only work on Sundays for a couple hours. I want that job. I want that job. Y'all know I only work on Sundays, right? That's a pretty good job. But over here, nobody likes you. You are a resounding gong of God's wrath. You're a crazy person on the street corner going, change your ways now. The Lord is coming. Stop your sinning. Repent. Y'all, we all make fun of them. You know who they are. That's the job God called him to do. And he says, no, no, I want this priest job over here. But finally, what Jeremiah did, and I think this is where I think we can learn this morning, is that he understood that the right relationship, the, the right orientation with God keeps us obedient. If we were to go back and look at your life standards and you say, I want to make a difference in this world, so many of us are chasing after the fame and fortune and the glory and the attaboys and all that other stuff. You do not deserve to be elevated to a place of popularity just so that you get credit for it. I'm sorry. We have too many people in our world, in our circles, that are busy beating their own drums and never one time bring Jesus into the conversation. You don't deserve that fame, but you absolutely deserve the frustration that comes with it. Man, that's hard. Yeah, you're right. You know why that's hard? That's hard because what I'm trying to declare to you this morning is a reality that when we are obedient to God like Jeremiah was, when we were saying, okay, Lord, what you're asking me to do is hard. And by the way, as we get into the book, what we're going to find out is that Jeremiah is going to be told, hey, they're going to mock you, they're going to hate you, they're going to try to hustle you, they're going to try to kill you, and by the way, you're going to be replaced but with new leaders. Jo- Josiah is going to get killed, and then his son's going to be placed on the throne, and then another son, and then another son is going to get his name changed because he bowed down to foreign governments that came over and took over and just put him in as a figurehead. They're going to get replaced, and your job is still to be proclaiming and calling out the goodness of the Lord to be obedient to the message so that others might, others just might have the opportunity to see me and gain the right orientation with me and gain a heart of wisdom. The second thing I think Jeremiah teaches us is that the right orientation keeps us on mission. I don't know what God wants to do with my life. Let me tell you something. This is another hard teaching but a truth. If you don't know what God wants you to do with your life, I would tell you the first place to look is where's the sin in your life? Where's the unconfessed things that are going on in your world? What are the things that you're trying to keep from God that actually is keeping you from God? What are the things that are out there that you're unwilling to give up? Where have you willingly embraced sin in your life and then wonder why I don't have any direction? You know, I'm not going to pay attention to any street signs. I'm not going to pull up the map or the GPS. I'm just going to start heading east and hope I finally, finally get to San Antonio. You cannot be on mission 
you cannot be on mission with God. You cannot be on mission with God and openly embrace sin in your own life. You can't do it. You cannot. You cannot expect God to pour out any measure of blessing on you that has eternal implications on it while you are willfully engaging in sinful activity. You can't do it. And it will create frustration, a hard heart. It will damage relationships. It will mess with your brain and your mind until eventually the sad thing that happens if you don't repent. I'm not talking about reforming. I'm talking about repent of your sins. If you don't do that, God will eventually turn you over to that. And then sin becomes normalized. And when sin becomes normalized in any culture, whether it be Israel or our culture today, one of the things that breaks down is that entire culture breaks down. And we're so far from God, we're off mission with him. And our worship no longer brings praise and extol. We're not a shiny thing anymore for others to come know the God that we serve. Because the God that we serve does not look like the God of the Bible. He is not the God that speaks truth to us each and every day. And so the right orientation with us keeps us on mission. And Jeremiah served under four different kings, under two different kingdoms, including into the exile when he got yanked up out of Jerusalem and sent someplace else. But you know what? His mission did not change. I am still going to proclaim truth to the people of who God is and what he wants to do in their lives and the lives of those who watch them serve him. It does not matter your circumstance. It does not matter what happens in your life each and every day. If you're outside of right relationship with God, it's going to be frustrating for you. You might enjoy some of what the world has in their blessings, but you will not enjoy the full blessing of the obedience of being on mission with God. Finally, I think the last part for us is the right orientation reveals our usefulness. Jeremiah was reluctant, but he was obedient. He found himself in the right place at the right time. He found his, himself with the right tools to do what he needed to do. He did not do without in such a way that God had forsaken him. He moaned and he cried and he bellyached and he's called the weeping prophet because his heart broke for the people that he was ministering to because he saw in them that Father Abraham was given a promise and Isaac squandered it and Jacob squandered it and all the 12 tribes of Israel squandered it and the people here now were living in this challenging place, supposedly in this promised land. They're about to get taken up and exiled someplace else and now somebody else is going to be living in the house that God said was yours. And they just can't understand why. God, I only sacrificed a few of my children to these idols. I don't know why you're not blessing me. I am, after all, special. I'm an Israelite. God, I've only turned my kids over to all the other things this world has to offer, but I'm an American. I got certain rights. I'm privileged. I don't care what color you are. You know what your privilege is? You get one more breath to serve Jesus Christ. That's a privilege, folks. If you don't believe me, just ask the Lord to teach you to number your days so that you may gain a heart of wisdom. It's a privilege. So how can you make a difference in 2020? I'll make this pretty simple this morning in closing. First of all, repent of your sins. I can preach my brains out up here. I can talk to you about changing your behavior. I can talk to you about all these other things, but until you have a one-on-one, -on -one, honest, real conversation with God and you say to him straight up, I know what you know about me and I'm sorry and I don't ever want to do that again. 
I don't just want to get rid of all the repercussions that this world is bringing on me. I want to be in right relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to have the confidence and the assurance to stand up in obedience, to stay on mission with you and be useful for your kingdom. And I can't be that way until I get rid of all this sin that I'm willingly embracing. God, open up my heart and reveal to me the things that I have yet to deal with. But Lord, I'm not just sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that I broke your heart and I repent of my sins today and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want my life to be a demonstration of just all the fun I had. I want it to be a marker of the God that I love. The second thing you can do is take advantage of every opportunity. Every opportunity. And I am absolutely saying this is one of those times when the doors are open, you need to be there. I understand. Listen closely on this. I understand you work, you commute, you have other things that are going on. I get all that. But we do a 930 adult Bible school or adult Bible fellowship. We have home groups. We'll start new ones. There are things for youth. There are men's things. There are women's things. There are things for us to do to take advantage of every opportunity to grow in Christ, to be sharpened by others, to make our lives matter as we build one another up. As all peoples extol him, there's an opportunity and a chance and a choice, which leads me to the next part right there. It says, make choices, not sacrifices. Listen, no, I, I really don't want to be around somebody who doesn't want to be there. Is that fair? It's at least honest. It may not be very fair, but it's at least honest. I really don't want to. I'm just making so many sacrifices. I get it. I understand. I'm not saying you don't have to make sacrifices because you do. But wouldn't it be better if you say, I'm going to own this and make a choice. I'm going to make a decision to do this. I'm going to choose to spend time with other believers. I'm going to choose to walk into an environment that I may feel uncomfortable, that I might not feel equipped with but that I'm going to go in there believing that God has opened up this opportunity for me so that others can help me number my days and gain this heart of wisdom by having the right orientation. Or I'm just going to decide, nah, that's good. I don't want to do any of those things. It's your choice. But I'm telling you, that's actually a sacrifice in my opinion. You are sacrificing great and satisfied with good. We've got a great church full of great people who are messed up like you would not believe. I mean, y'all got issues, but you also have Jesus. You got a pastor that loves you. You got another pastor that loves you. You got a worship pastor that loves you. You got women's ministry, men's ministry, men are, pe people love you here, not because of your perfection, but because of the Savior that you serve. He's making us all better. And we could all be weeping prophets for our community together finally and this is the name of our series for the next couple of weeks and this is just real simple when it comes to a prophetic book like Jeremiah is just listen and apply Lord I don't know what you want for my life listen the same plan has been going on for thousands of years and it's not because it doesn't work it's because it does God didn't mess up by putting the things he did, revealing who he is to us in his word, just because you don't get it. He didn't mess up. Sometimes we don't get it because we need to work a little harder to understand it, so we'll take responsibility for it and own that decision that's being made. 
some of the best advice I've ever been given in my entire life when I went to go see a man named Travis Bruner. Travis had fought in Korea, 60% frostbite over his entire body. He sacrificed his body to help others get rescued who had been shot up in the Battle of Chosan. At 45 years old, after he'd gotten out of the military, he punched holes in the earth all over drilling oil. Most people in the Society for Petroleum Engineers back in the 90s especially knew who Travis Bruner was. Travis stood about six foot five, probably weighed about 225 pounds. He had tattoos on his forearms. You'd never know it because he always wore long sleeve shirts. But Travis Bruner was a godly man because out on an oil rig in the middle of Indonesia, God got hold of him and changed his heart forever. And Travis is one of those godly men in my life. Travis had been diagnosed with cancer a couple of times. And finally, he went back for some tests and checkups when he was like 77, 78 years old. And the doctor said, hey, why don't you come on in? Travis like, I'm not coming in. He's like, why don't you come on in? I want to share the results with you. Doc, I know I'm dying. I'm not coming in. Travis, I really need you to come on in. Finally, his wife called him and said, meet me at the hospital. There won't be supper tonight if you don't show up at that hospital. You can go home to an empty house. Travis shows up at the hospital. They admit him into the hospital, begin chemotherapy, begin treating him. I went to go see Travis because as a young man in my 20s, I just looked up to him. I thought he was the neatest guy in the whole world. And Travis was sitting in a chair with IVs and everything else, and he reached up with this big bear claw of a hand, and he grabbed me by the back of the neck, and he pulled me down right to his face, and he just looked at me, and he said two words. He said, listen and apply. He said, John, you're a remarkable young man. You're smart. You know the Bible pretty well. He goes, but your problem is that you need to not just hear it. You need to listen to it, and you need to apply Travis died about 10 days later. His life made a difference in my eternity, in the eternity of so many others. And so as we walk through Jeremiah, we're going to hear this weeping prophet calling people, don't just change your behaviors, change your heart. Repent. Later on, we'll hear repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And so I pray you'll join us this year in 2022. 2021's done. 2022 is not written yet. But God wants us to be a part of what he's doing, to listen and to apply, to be that light into the nations, to our neighborhoods, to our neighbors, to those that are out there, to learn more about who he is, to sharpen one another, to take every opportunity that we might gain a heart of wisdom and have the right orientation with God. This church may or may not grow. I don't know. But I know this, that if I'm obedient to what God wants me to do, I'll grow. There may be 10 of you here next week. But I know if I'm obedient, I'll just do what God wants me to do, and that'll be just fine. He'll take care of it. Hear me well when I say this. This isn't about church growth. This is about heart growth. This is about you being Grinch-like and your heart growing three sizes this next year. This is about us walking closer to the Lord and seeing how he changes us, and that we get to look up and say, hey, you remember that? You remember when we committed ourselves? To, to number our days and take advantage of every single opportunity to reflect Jesus in our lives. And we took him up on that deal. And you remember what happened? The kid down the street got baptized in the middle of the winter. Anybody want to get baptized today? I know where there's a swimming pool. We'll do it right now in 30 degrees temperature. Did that in Mongolia. You baptize people in 40 degree water like their soul jumps out. It's awesome. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we pray this morning, and we're going to observe the Lord's Supper.